Chapter 2 of Catherine von Bora, Dr. Martin Luther's Wife by Armin Stein, translated by E. A. Endlich. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 2, Disappointed Hopes. Again it was evening, some weeks later, when seven nuns sat together in the cell of Magdalene von Staupitz. They were very sad, for the hopes which they had built on the kindness and mercy of their parents and kinspeople had been miserably disappointed. Magdalene von Staupitz had indeed received from her brother, the vicar general of the Augustinian order, a warm and sympathizing letter. And Catherine had just read aloud another from her brother Hans, full of tender brotherly love, but both urged their sisters not to leave the convent. Monks, they argued, might safely take such a step, being able to work with their hands for their bread. But how would they, poor helpless nuns, fare in the world? Their second state would be worse than their first. The other nuns were even more cast down. Their parents had replied with threats and reproaches, and they were so utterly crushed that it was difficult to console them. Presently, Lynetta von Golis joined their number with drooping head and sorrowful eyes. Silently, she sat down, and the eyes of all sat the face of Magdalene von Staupitz, who was older than the rest and whose opinion was accepted with the utmost confidence. She had bidden the sisters to herself to take counsel with them as to their further course. Magdalene rose. She was a tall, dignified woman with a thoughtful face and a calm manner. Our first hope has been put to naught, dear sisters, she began in her rich, full voice. And it is a bitter lot to be forsaken by those whom nature has appointed to be our helpers. They bid us remain, but shall we obey men rather than God whose call has come to us through the word of his prophet? Our awakened conscience will not suffer us to continue in a place to which our heart has become a stranger, for all our obedience to the rules and exercises of the order is but hypocrisy. Catherine von Bora replied with quivering lips, My spirit grieves at the thought of ending my days in this dreary place, dead while I am yet living. But what can we do? Listen to me, sisters, I will tell you my plan, she continued. Since it was Luther who brought God's word to us, he is the man to whom we must direct our cry for help, that he may lay it before the throne of God. Magdalene, cried Catherine, how dare we? Should such as we burden the great man with our troubles? Has he not far greater and weightier cares resting upon him? Magdalene shook her head. Do not oppose me, Catherine. Through my brother, I have gained more accurate knowledge of the monk of Wittenberg. And from what I have heard, we will not do amiss in turning to him. His giant spirit does not ask whether persons are of high or low degree. His ears and his heart are open to the needs of the least. Many of the monks who left their monasteries have been taken under his protection, and his energetic intercession has secured them a livelihood. Should he not take pity on us, defenseless nuns? Eva von Schoenfeld eagerly grasped Magdalene's hand. Sister, your advice is good, and new hope has entered my heart. I am sure that Luther will help us. I have absolute faith in him. A breath of excitement seemed to stir these troubled women. Luther's name revived and strengthened their failing courage, and they crowded around Sister Magdalene, thanking her for her happy, saving thought. But how shall Luther hear from us? asked Eva von Schoenfeld, when the sudden enthusiasm had given place to calm reflection. That is the least of our difficulties, replied Magdalene. Klaus, the gardener, will do the errand for me with pleasure. He has long been waiting for an opportunity to show his gratitude for the help I gave him when the poisonous insect stung his hand. Then the door was hastily flung open, and pale as death, Elizabeth von Kennitz rushed into the room. All was lost, she cried, wringing her hands. My father has come, and in the presence of the abbess, with many reproaches, gave me his answer to my letter. 
Our secret is betrayed, and I, unhappy girl, have been the cause. Burying her face in her hands, she sank upon a stool. The others, speechless and paralyzed with terror, surrounded her. Magdalene von Staupitz was the first to recover herself. Sisters, she pleaded, do not lose heart. They will make haste to separate and punish us. We will therefore use the few moments that are left to us and promise each other to abide by our purpose. Now more than ever, Luther is our only hope. Leave it to me. I will send a messenger to him. The nuns had scarcely expressed their assent when a shuffling step was heard approaching, and presently the abbess stood before the trembling sisters. The old woman's face, ordinarily of an ashen hue, had assumed a greenish tint which was an indication of the deepest anger. Quivering with rage, she struggled to overcome her agitation sufficiently to give utterance to her feelings. For some moments, her lips were unable to frame the words, and in anxious silence, the nuns, with hands crossed and heads bowed, stood like criminals awaiting their doom. Finally, broken sentences fell from the sanctified lips. Oh, that my old eyes should witness such shame. What have you done, you children of Satan? If you stood before me as fallen Magdalens, as murderesses, from my heart I could pity you. But my soul revolts at your crime, and the sharpest scourge is too gentle for such as you. Only the day before yesterday, in proud joy, I reported to the general of the order, the convent of Marian Throng is an undefiled sanctuary and proof against heresy. Now I am made a liar, my pride is humbled, my glory put to shame. Holy Mother of God, hide thy face from this iniquity, nor because of the sin of these nine do thou punish the whole of this consecrated house. Their crime shall be visited with heavy punishment, that the stain may be wiped away. But you, 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 why do you stand on your knees with you into the dust? The nuns fell upon their knees and silently kissed the withered hand of the abbess in gratitude for the promised punishment, for the convent discipline had taught them to receive punishment as benefaction. At the evening meal and on the day following, there were nine vacant places in the refectory. The penitents were locked in their cells on bread and water, and in the fervor of her holy zeal, the abbess undertook the task of listening at the doors to make sure that the prisoners recited the prescribed number of prayers. On the fourth day, the unhappy nuns were released, but only to be subjected to the deepest humiliation. During the celebration of the Mass, they sat apart from the others upon the penitent's bench, and while the priest intoned the penitential litany, they were obliged to creep upon their knees to the steps of the altar, striking their breasts with their hands, until the cleansing virtue of holy water and the fumes of incense had dispelled the odor of heresy. The abbess, after they had kissed her feet, then pronounced the formula of absolution, by which they were again received into the fellowship of the children of God. But it was her lips only that spoke the words. Her eyes expressed unappeased hatred, which imparted itself to the other nuns, and made the convent more than ever a hell on earth to the unfortunate heretics. They were passed by without a glance or a word, and treated as though they had forfeited the right of dwelling in this sacred spot. They were outlawed in the bitter need of their hearts, teaching them the insufficiency of prayers learned by rote, constrained them to cast themselves personally before the throne of grace, and like Jacob of old, to wrestle with the Lord in fervent prayer. Where is Klaus? asked the abbess of the lay brother, who was busy with his spade among the vegetable beds of the convent garden. Slowly lifting his head, the brother answered, 
he went away to buy seeds. Where? He did not tell me. Probably to Erfurt. End of chapter 2.